Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. The big game is back, and you know what that means. We get to bet on what color Gatorade will dunk the winning coach. Now, each of the last two years, the Bucks and the Rams have gone for blue. Three of the last four years, blue has been the winning color, and yet blue comes in as the second largest favorite this year at plus 390. At plus 200, you can get orange. At plus 400, you can get clear or watercolor. Yellow, green, slash lemon, lime, also at plus 400. Red is sitting at plus 600, and purple comes in at plus 1,000. All of your big game bets are available at Bet Online Sportsbook, and you can use our promo code BLEAV, that's B-L-E-A-V, to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Using the link in the description to this episode, Bet Online, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However, and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of The Take. It Easy Podcast Live on the Believe Podcast Network. Except it isn't live because it is, as always, a podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome everybody. It is a fantabulous Thursday, February 9th, according to my count. It may not be that according to your count, but we appreciate you stopping in however and whenever it is that you may be listening. It's Super Bowl week. We're going to get a Super Bowl week type of feel by talking about the Philadelphia Eagles. I'll wait till after the game is over to talk about my beloved Patrick Mahomes, whom I wish good things to happen to always, and talk about everything going on with Kansas City. Because win or lose, we'll have a eulogy for them coming up after the Super Bowl. So today I want to focus in on Philadelphia because there are some very interesting points to talk about with Philadelphia. Before we get to that, there was an NBA trade on Wednesday night. We're recording this late on Wednesday night. That's how it releases at midnight on Thursday. So we're going to talk about the trade between the Lakers, the Jazz, and the Minnesota Timberwolves here as an A block. And I was going through our old song list on uh, the show to see if I had a transition into talking about this. And I was reminded again about the Minnesota Timberwolves Ant-Man parody song that we did to the uh, the man by the killers. Uh, I forgot that I did this in the first round of the playoffs last year because we fell in love with the beautiful Minnesota Timberwolves who threw jerseys and cried and stormed the floor after winning a play-in round because that's the energy I need going into 2022 is a loser celebrating winning the play-in round like the Timberwolves did. And so I made a parody song. It took about two and a half hours. It's two and a half minutes long and it's set to the man by the killers. Aunt Lajau score. The ball slipped out his hand. Cat and them boys. 
They won't give a damn They cheer playing games Like they just won the crown Nothing can bring Can bring Minnesota down The Ant-Man Drives down D D Lowe's gotta kick D Lowe's gotta kick it out The Ant-Man 21 And no, no, nothing can break You can't break him down 12 years in the tank Bed flops like a plank We got news for you baby And Edwards is the man Two years in the game And he's a household name We got news for you baby And Edwards is the man When it comes to Wiggins They never learned And then Jimmy Butler Left all the kids burned The only way they get talent Is the top of the draft Torian Prince and Malik Bees Lee The Ant-Man's 21 Nah, no, no, nothing can break You can't break him down 12 years in the tank Bev flops like a plank Got news for you baby and Edwards is the man Cat's shot, make it rain. GM's affairs in the way. Got news for you, baby, and Edwards is the man. The Ant-Man, the Ant-Man, the Ant-Man, the Ant-Man. Who's the man with the plan? The Ant-Man. The Ant-Man, the Ant-Man, the Ant-Man, the Ant-Man. Who's the man with the plan? The Ant-Man. The Ant-Man. The Ant-Man Twelve years in the tank Bev flops like a plank Got news for you baby and Edwards is the man Fifteen years away From headed to the Hall of Fame Got news for you baby And Edwards is the man All right, so how interesting is it that literally half of the players that I named in this song now play for the Lakers, and 33% of them were involved in this trade? Because think about it, you got the Ant-Man, you got Cat, Carl Anthony Towns, you got D'Angelo Russell, who just got traded to the Lakers. You got Malik Beasley, who just got traded to the Lakers. You got Pat Beverly, who plays for the Lakers. And Torian Prince, who I'm pretty sure still plays for Minnesota. But if you told me he played for the Lakers, I would have to double-check you on it. He might also play for the Jazz, because a lot of those Jazz and Timberwolves players have been traded back and forth in the last year. It's gonna They, they both wear the same color jerseys. It's so confusing, because now you've got... Mike Conley and Rudy Gobert on the Timberwolves, and you've got Malik Beasley, Jared Vanderbilt on the Utah Jazz, but then they got traded to the Lakers, so it wasn't Minnesota giving them up to the Lakers, but it was kind of Minnesota giving them up to the Lakers because it was salary filler for the previous Rudy Gobert trade. Look, there's there's some players who for the rest of the time I'm just going to associate with Utah and Minnesota. Walker Kessler, going to be difficult to figure out whether he's Utah or Minnesota for years down the road. Just those two teams can't make trades with their jerseys looking so similar. Utah, go back to those Valley of the Sun jerseys or whatever you did. Go back to those orange jerseys. They were so cool. Anyways, so 
Utah Jazz, Minnesota Timberwolves, Los Angeles Lakers, they made a trade. Here's the full details. I'm just going to read them out real quick because, got to be honest, the trade happened about two hours ago, and I'm still like kind of connecting the I's and dotting the T's on it just because I couldn't figure out whether Beasley was a Jazz or a Timberwolves player or whether uh, Mike Conley was a Jazz or Timberwolves or Nikhil Alexander-Walker is now a Timberwolves. It's, jazz in Minnesota should not make trades. It's just the jerseys are too similar. The players are too ambiguous. Just shouldn't make trades. So, full trade. Lakers got D'Angelo Russell, Malik Beasley, Jared Vanderbilt. Utah got Russell Westbrook, Juan Toscano-Anderson, Damian Jones, and a 2027 protected first from the Lakers. So, then you go to the Timberwolves part of it. The Timberwolves got Mike Conley, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, and three second-round picks for adding D'Angelo Russell into the mix. The easiest way I can explain this in layman's terms is... The Lakers traded a 2027 first-round pick for D'Angelo Russell, who is a pretty good point guard. He's averaging 18 points a game. He was the fourth leading or the fourth option on the Timberwolves. I think he actually had more points per game than Gobert, but fourth option on the Timberwolves, above-average NBA point guard, flipped for a 2027 protected first-round pick. And D'Angelo Russell's a free agent at the end of the season. Now, the Lakers have $41 million in cap space. D'Angelo Russell, they can't really afford to lose him, given that they just gave up the 2027 protected first. They'll probably re-sign D'Angelo Russell. So flipping D'Angelo Russell for the first-round pick is the simplest way I can describe that portion of the trade. The rest of the deal is they flipped Russell Westbrook and some filler players who were going to be off the team at the end of the season, they flipped Russell Westbrook for Malik Beasley. They flipped Westbrook at this stage of his career for Malik Beasley. Utah's going to buy him out, and their bonus is we got the 2027 first. And all they had to give up in exchange was Mike Conley, who has one and a half years on of his contract because it's only partially guaranteed if he's still on the team next year. So if Minnesota decides to keep him, then it's a two-year contract where they pay him, I don't know what the number is, like $25 million a year. And in exchange for that, they get Mike Conley for D'Angelo Russell, which is, you know, not a huge downgrade does the job for what they're trying to do at this stage of the game. Conley's under contract for an extra year. And they got Nikhil Alexander-Walker and three second-round picks. I think one from the Lakers, two from the Jazz, maybe. Point being, they got three second-rounders and a player swap for D'Angelo Russell, which is about what the Lakers traded for Rui Hachimura in the first place. Remember when Rui Hachimura got traded for basically three second-round picks? I mean, they kind of just flipped point guards and got some second-round draft capital, which will help them out a little bit just because Minnesota needs those players to fill the roster, and hopefully they'll develop one of them into a starter to complement Cat and Ant Edwards going forward because, again, that offense works when Ant Edwards is the number one and you surround him with complementary players like D'Angelo Russell, like Mike Conley, who when those guys go off the bench, the whole team doesn't fall apart. And so the simplest way to explain it is they flipped Russell, D'Angelo Russell for a first-round pick. The first-round pick went to Utah. 
because Utah took on the Westbrook contract and Utah, in exchange for taking on Westbrook, gave the Lakers Malik Beasley. The Timberwolves got, in exchange from Utah, that first-round pick. The the Utah Jazz first-round pick that they got for the Lakers for D'Angelo Russell, they just flipped that in exchange for Mike Conley, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, and three second-round picks. So they flipped a first-round pick that they got for D'Angelo Russell into those three, two players and three picks, which... Not that bad. Given that you don't know where the Lakers pick is going to end up, I think they did pretty good in making the guess there. So from a trade standpoint, pretty fundamental. D'Angelo Russell for a first, and then that first round pick from the Timberwolves goes in exchange for Mike Conley, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, and three second rounders instead of just taking the first round pick from the Lakers. They would rather have Mike Conley, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, and three second-round picks. Which, by the way, given the status of Minnesota's franchise, where all of their draft picks are in possession of the Utah Jazz, I think they kind of would rather have Mike Conley, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, and three second-round picks. Because you can you have more flexibility with those than you do a first-round pick, and Utah's okay with lack of flexibility at this stage of the game. The bigger part of it is Russell Westbrook. And other than just marveling at how awful the Russell Westbrook trade panned out for the Lakers, which is kind of wild because I was talking about this with our friend Juju Talk Sports, like the Westbrook trade itself didn't really hurt the Lakers all that bad. I'm sure they would like to have Kyle Kuzma, but at the end of the day, like losing Kyle Kuzma doesn't sting at the heart of your soul. I mean, it does for me a little bit because Kuzma is one of the baby Lakers that I grew up watching, but it doesn't really hurt your soul to lose Kyle Kuzma. They didn't lose anything that was worthwhile in that trade. The first round pick they gave up turned into Aaron Holiday and some guy named Isaiah Todd, who's been bouncing between the G League and the Wizards 15-man roster. Contavious Caldwell-Pope got flipped for a draft pick. The Wizards don't really miss him. Denver is happy to have him, but he's not even a major contributor on that Denver team at this point. Maybe that'll change in the playoffs and they'll look more fondly on it. It hurts that they couldn't re-sign Alex Caruso, but at the end of the day, they didn't lose anything that hurt in the Westbrook trade. It was just the precipitous fall of Westbrook happened so fast and it tanked that entire season last year that the Lakers lose that trade running away and everyone feels like, well, Washington doesn't feel like a winner. They feel like they got Kyle Kuzma, which is like, whatever team can't make the playoffs and they've got Kyle Kuzma and the Lakers just feel awful about the they just feel gross about everything that happened with Westbrook and so the Lakers walk away feeling awful about it the Wizards don't get any pleasure out of it and so that trade ultimately becomes teams exchanging their junk and that's kind of wild to think about at the end of this whole saga as Westbrook gets flipped for Malik Beasley at the end of it all. Because if you're asking between Kyle Kuzma and Malik Beasley, I think it's not that much of a difference, but I bet you the Lakers would want Kyle Kuzma at this stage of the game. And that's so wild to think about at the end of this whole random wild saga for the Lakers is that it turned into Malik Beasley at the end of the day with two seasons where you, or really two years where you just feel gross because you went all... The, the problem with the Westbrook trade was not only that it flopped last season, that they didn't have the flexibility to move off of him. We said this when the trade happened. Once you get Westbrook in the door, he's there for two years. This is the last all-in move that you can make. 
And the all-in move that they made blew up in their face. And at this point, there's nothing they can do to build a winner because having the, the fundamental flaw is that having LeBron James as your best player in 2023 makes you incapable of winning the championship. It barely makes you capable of winning the playoffs because in 2021, having LeBron James as the best player on your team barely got you into the playoff. They had to fight the play-in round in order to get into the playoffs as the seven seed that year. So two years ago... LeBron James being the best player on your team was barely enough to get into the playoffs. Now it's not even a guarantee, obviously, after the last two seasons. The Anthony Davis thing just kind of sucks. I mean, you can kind of go all over the place and pinpoint why it's gone down. But when Davis plays, man, he's really good, except for last year. We don't know how many injuries he was dealing with last year. But the last four years when he plays, he's one of the 10 best players in the NBA, according to player efficiency metrics. He just doesn't play all that I mean it's not new like everything that could be said has been said about the Lakers and I'm not that interested in rehashing it the thing that's more interesting is just at the end of the day they flipped Westbrook for Malik Beasley it's kind of wild to think about at the end of this whole random wild saga for the Lakers they gave up the pick to get D'Angelo Russell which was the whole thing about flipping the picks for Miles Turner and Buddy Heald which seemed kind of asinine because you didn't have a chance to actually win anything Flipping the first for D'Angelo Russell doesn't seem that asinine because Russell is a fine player, better than anything you were probably going to get with the first round pick, even when you factor in the financials of a first round pick is only under contract for four years at somewhere between two and six million dollars. At the end of the day, like they don't mind paying D'Angelo Russell excess amounts of money. They're the Lakers. They're cool going over the salary cap and they have financial flexibility now. So they don't really mind paying D'Angelo Russell a four-year extension at the end of this year. They can always flip him for something else, even if it's Mike Conley and three second round picks and Nikhil Alexander-Walker. That's preseason Hall of Famer Nikhil Alexander-Walker, by the way, one of our oldest running bits on the show. Preseason Hall of Famer Nikhil Alexander-Walker getting traded to Minnesota. Like, maybe they can flip it for Nikhil Alexander-Walker in three second-rounders later once they're no longer competing. I don't think the Lakers mind paying D'Angelo Russell that money for the first-round pick. It's the Westbrook getting flipped for Malik Beasley at the end of all of this that seems more wild to me. A seventh man off a bench. That's what Russell Westbrook ends up getting dumped for at the end of the day when money didn't matter because the Jazz were totally cool buying him out. It's like, sure, here's Malik Beasley at the end of this whole experiment of two years that they were locked into, which is probably going to go down as one of the worst failures in modern NBA history at the very least. Ant let Josh score. The ball slipped out his hand. Cat and them boys, they won't give a damn. They cheer playing games like they just won the crown. Nothing can bring, can bring Minnesota down. The Ant-Man drives down. D-D-Low's got a kick, D-Low's got a kick, get out. The Ant-Man's 21 and nothing can break. You can't break him down! Twelve years in the tank, bed flops like a plank. 
We got news for you, baby, and Edwards is the man. Two years in the game, and he's a household name. We got news for you, baby, and Edwards is the man. When it comes to Wiggins, they never learned. And then Jimmy Butler left all the kids burned. The only way they get talent is the top of the draft. Torian Prince and Malik Bees Lee, the Ant-Man's 21. No, no, nothing can break. You can't break him down. 12 years in the tank. Bev flops like a plank. Got news for you, baby, and Edwards is the man. Cat shot, make it rain. GM's affairs in the way. Got news for you, baby, and Edwards is the man. The Ant-Man, the Ant-Man, the Ant-Man, the Ant-Man. Who's the man with the plan? The Ant-Man. The Ant-Man, the Ant-Man, the Ant-Man, the Ant-Man. Who's the man with the plan? The Ant-Man. The Ant-Man. The Ant-Man Twelve years in the tank Bev flops like a plank Got news for you baby and Edwards is the man Fifteen years away From headed to the Hall of Fame Got news for you baby And Edwards is the man All right, let's talk about the Philadelphia Eagles. Go Birds, as our friend Ryan Nanny says. Go Birds. So, the Philadelphia Eagles are about to play in the Super Bowl. No surprise, it's Super Bowl week, blah, blah, blah. We've talked about them all season. Their journey to get here is really interesting, and I think the story that I've gravitated towards the most, as is the natural place to go, is Jalen Hurts. Because the thing I've said for years is that, God, Jalen Hurts is going to have such an amazing 30 for 30. Just an absolutely amazing 30 for 30 once it's all said and done. I mean, this dude is 24 years old and he has lived, no joke, five different careers in one at this point. This dude, and I've said it before, I'm going to say it again real quick. Jalen Hurts went 26-2 and as the starting quarterback at Alabama got benched in the championship game at halftime. Jalen Hurts ends up watching Tua lead the comeback, comes back to Alabama for his junior season, Doesn't he loses a year of eligibility, comes back as the backup quarterback, as the moment when you can pinpoint this is when Nick Saban goes from Nick Saban wins with defense in the first era of his uh, run at Alabama, where uh, A.J. McCarron, who had a short NFL career, was a four-year starter, where they won championships with Jake Coker as the starting quarterback. They won an, uh, They went to a college football playoff with Blake Sims as their quarterback. Jalen Hurts reflects the transition from Jake Coker and Blake Sims and A.J. McCarron to Tua, Mac Jones, Bryce Young, six years in succession of each other. All first-round picks, granted Mac Jones probably shouldn't have been, but all first-round picks, 
all top prospects, Saban starts scoring 40 points a game. And even when Mac Jones was there as a four-star prospect, it's Mac Jones combined with Najee Harris, Devonta Smith, and uh, I believe it was uh, Jalen Waddle on that team. Jalen Waddle playing with a broken leg. Like, three of the top five Heisman finalists played at Alabama, and none of them were the quarterback. That 2020 season in the pandemic when they won the championship, three of the top five Heisman finalists were from Alabama, and not a single one was the quarterback. And that quarterback still got picked in the first round. But Jalen Hurts represents the pivot from Saban wins with defense to Saban wins with offense. And Jalen Hurts comes back to Alabama for his junior year. Tua gets hurt in the SEC championship game against Georgia in the Georgia Dome. Or maybe it was Mercedes-Benz at that point. But in the same stadium where Tua led the comeback in 2017's championship game. Down Down in the fourth quarter, Tua gets hurt. Jalen Hurts comes in, leads a comeback in the SEC championship game, transfers to Oklahoma, has an insane statistical season where he finishes second in the Heisman only to Joe Burrow, the greatest quarterbacking season maybe in college football history. So he finishes second in the Heisman that year at Oklahoma, and then Jalen Hurts gets bounced in the college football playoff 49-0 in the first half. It was 49-0 at halftime because LSU was amazing, and Oklahoma's defenses were really bad. And then Jalen Hurts gets drafted in the second round, fifth quarterback picked in the draft class. He's already had two ridiculous careers at this point, one with Alabama, one with Oklahoma. Then he goes to the Eagles, and he's behind Carson Wentz, the savior quarterback whom they paid $32 million. At the end of the whole experiment, it's Nick Foles versus Carson Wentz. Remember, they won the Super Bowl, and we had that whole debate for two goddamn years. Nick Foles, Carson Wentz, we were all diagnosed with Nick Foles syndrome and Philly Philly and all that bullshit. At the end of the day, it was nobody. This team that won the Super Bowl beat the Patriots with Tom, with beat the Tom Brady Patriots with Nick Foles as their quarterback. That team just moved off of Nick Foles, moved off of Carson Wentz after a ridiculous pandemic 2020 season where Carson Wentz is playing terrible and people are like, I mean, he's making $32 million a year. Are they going to bench him for Jalen Hurts? And they did bench him for Jalen Hurts. And then they tanked the last game of the season and they put Nate Sudfeld in. And then they got rid of Carson Wentz. And then they gave Jalen Hurts the reins while they were rebuilding this thing that fell apart. And by that point, it's a ridiculous story that he's even starting because he had no draft prospects when he transferred to Oklahoma. Maybe he would be a seventh rounder. Maybe he would be Gardner Minshew. Now he's the Eagles quarterback, and now Jalen Hurts is taking over a team that's theoretically tanking. I thought the Eagles were going to be terrible in 2021. They made the playoffs. Kind of BS way of making the playoffs. They got blown out. And as they rebuilt that plane... Not necessarily in the sky because they had to go through two years of losing to get there. But as they rebuilt that plane, Jalen Hurts is the quarterback of the Philadelphia Eagles. And he is the reason that they are able to surround with all this ridiculous talent. And I know I said I didn't want this to be a Jalen Hurts story, but the Jalen Hurts story is so incredible. He's 24 years old and now he's in the Super Bowl as the quarterback of the Eagles It's ridiculous that he is anywhere near this point 
given where we were like two years ago with Jalen Hurts and Carson Wentz, which feels like a lifetime ago. And you could make a 30 for 30 just based on that season itself. Jalen Hurts is an incredible story. And I've noticed that everyone is gravitating towards that story, which is understandable. Like you've got a quarterback in the Super Bowl like Jalen Hurts. It's a new face of the NFL, not the face of the NFL, but a new face in the NFL. And it's a quarterback story that people are going to gravitate to because he's going to be the quarterback of potential Super Bowl champion. We did the same thing with Matthew Stafford last year. We did the same thing with Joe Burrow when those were new faces at the end of the end of the road. We did it with Joe Flacco back at 10 years ago. When there's a new face at the end of the road, we gravitate towards that person. And I think that's the story that has been built up. And the thing that I find so fascinating is all the other players on the Eagles have such incredible stories. And it's the reason that this team is what it is, is the Hurts story is enough to last four lifetimes. There's also eight players on the Philadelphia Eagles who have these incredible stories that when you put all of it together leads to them winning the NFC and winning the NFC running away. I mean, we could start off with the guys who were there in 2017, Lane Johnson and Jason Kelsey, like the foundation of this entire thing, the reason this works, and the same reason they were able to win a championship in 2017 was the Eagles had three Hall of Famers on their offensive line in 2017. And we know now, the evidence is clear, we know the reason Carson Wentz looked like an MVP was because he had three Hall of Fame offensive linemen and a rotation of running backs that were all cheap and all did different things. It was LeGarrette Blunt, it was Corey Clement. They had a rotating group of running backs that season. Might have even had Darren Sproles. Jason Kelsey is, a, I believe, a college tight end or a college quarterback drafted in the sixth round turned into a Hall of Fame center, like first ballot Hall of Famer. You have Lane Johnson, who we talked about a couple weeks ago when we were talking about the reason that offensive players have an average high school rating of two stars and defensive all-pro players have a high school rating of four and a half stars on average. I mean, Lane Johnson's this guy who... He's had a rot- He's had a career where he's played left tackle. He's played right tackle on the Eagles. They had Jason Peters during that championship run. And Lane Johnson, who has dealt with a ridiculous number of injuries over all of these years, he was a former fourth-round pick by the Philadelphia Eagles. And he's now a Hall of Famer who's made two first-team All-Pros and one second-team All-Pro. I know it sounds like I was just reading his Wikipedia page. Lane Johnson is a Hall of Fame offensive lineman picked in the fourth round by the Philadelphia Eagles. Jason Kelsey is a Hall of Fame offensive lineman picked in the sixth round by the Philadelphia Eagles. And they had Jason Peters on the team for the 2017 run, anchoring the team as the left tackle. They lost Jason Peters to just Jason Peters getting old. He's 41 years old and still playing in the NFL which means he was 36 or 37 when they won the championship five years ago. So he just kind of got old, and that's kind of okay. Jason Peters is a Hall of Famer. They lost him, and they replaced him with maybe another Hall of Famer. If you give him enough time, maybe another Hall of Famer. And 
they, it seems like one of the ways that the Eagles have continued to build up this success as the years have gone along is that they've been able to find value at the offensive tackle position and turn them into superstars, like Hall of Fame caliber players. Jason Peters obviously wasn't drafted by them, but you look at fourth rounder Lane Johnson, sixth rounder Jason Kelsey, and seventh round pick Jordan Mailata. Which, for those who don't know the story about Jordan Mailata, like this is gonna like if Jalen Hurts is a thirty for thirty story, Jordan Mailata is one of those Disney movies, like the Giannis one that I never watched, but I assume is super whitewashed, or that uh, that story of the pitcher played by Dennis Quaid who tries out for the Tampa Bay Rays and ends up getting on the team. Uh, I forgot what it's what the movie's. I think it's called. Uh, Oh, I wish I remember what that movie was called. Uh, but basically, like, it's one of these Disney movies that's like an inspirational story. Like Rudy. That's the story for Jordan Mailata. Jordan Mailata was playing Australian rules rugby. Or, sorry, just rugby. I mean, it's Australian rules football. But he was playing rugby in Australia. And he got injured when he was 18 years old. And... After he came back from injury, I believe it was a head injury at that point, um, he ended up gaining about 30 pounds while he was recovering from his injury, and so he was offered $5,000 to play for their under-20 team for one of the professional rugby clubs in Australia, and he turned it down and started training for the NFL. And this was right around the time the NFL was giving a roster spot to non-American players. They had created an extra roster spot for players from other countries. And my and usually this would be like the punter or the tight end. The tight end would come over from Germany. And Jordan Mailata watched the blind side... <laughs> and thought I could play offensive line in the NFL. And so despite the fact he had never played football until, or he had never considered a football career until he was 19, 20 years old, he spent two years training with this international pathway program that had just been created. He gets drafted in the seventh round after going to IMG Academy for a year, learning how to play offensive line, and he got drafted in the seventh round by the Eagles. And he was the second player in the history of the NFL to ever get drafted without playing high school or college football ever. Like just to never play a snap of football prior to getting drafted in the NFL. And he gets drafted by the Eagles in the seventh round. He got a $68 million contract extension. He's never made a pro bowl, which actually surprised me. I was surprised that um, he didn't, end up uh, I was surprised that he didn't make a pro bowl apparently he was an alternate this year and never got the call up but Jordan Mailata got a 17 million dollar contract and has basically replaced Jason Peters a hall of fame left tackle and they've just kept the machine rolling from what 2017 was even as they've replaced all of the skill position players even as they've replaced the pass rushers even as they've replaced the quarterbacks they kept that offensive line intact put Jordan Mailata a 7th round pick who had never played football before getting drafted 
they plug him in, he becomes their new left tackle, and they just keep the machine rolling on the offensive line. And I think that's a story that is more indicative of the success of the Philadelphia Eagles. Certainly Jalen Hurts is the leader person for the Eagles, but we recognize that as great of a season as Jalen Hurts has had, we can name seven quarterbacks who we know are better than Jalen Hurts and feel pretty confident that we are correct. So Jalen Hurts finds himself in this interesting position where he's that cool story and the foundation of that is the offensive line. And personally, I think the offensive line is kind of a wild story in and of itself. I know it's the same story from the past five years. It's sixth round pick Jason Kelsey. It's fourth round pick Lane Johnson, both who develop into Hall of Famers because offensive line is the position that develops as you get older. It's the reject position. You know, Jason Kelsey was a zero star prospect and... As time has gone on, these players who literally have never played football before, like Jordan Mailata, have become a competitive advantage for the Philadelphia Eagles that allows them to replace everything else on the roster from 2017 to now and still make it to the championship. So I think the offensive line is a really incredible story. There's amazing stories about the day two picks that Howie Roseman made, Josh Sweat, who's a edge rusher for the team, has been super interesting to watch play out. Uh, is one in particularly interesting story where he was a third-round pick and he had 10 sacks this year, and even he has trouble finding the field because the way the Eagles did this rebuild was just by trading back, trading back, trading back, trading back. Just take as many hits at the board as possible. And when you're drafting seventh-rounders who have never played football before and now they're your left tackle— If you believe in your developmental system, getting as many cracks at the board is the best process for going about this. Because one of the ways that you're able to sustain that is by tanking that last game of the season in 2020. Remember, it was on Sunday Night Football. It was Washington against Philly, and Philly threw the game, and it got Washington in with the BS Taylor Heineke playoff game. Remember that whole thing? It was the last game Doug Peterson ever coached with the Eagles. That draft pick, if they had won that game, they would have had the 11 pick in the draft. If they lost that game, which they did, they got the 6 pick in the draft. They then traded back from 6 to 12 so that the 49ers could go up and get Trey Lance and so that the Eagle, or so that the Dolphins could get Jalen Waddell. And then they traded back up from 12 to 10 by giving up a third round pick. And you know who they got at the end of that whole experiment? along with an additional first-round pick, Devonta Smith. You know what they did with that extra first-round pick? They traded back with the Saints. And you know what they did with the first-round pick they got for Carson Wentz? Traded it for A.J. Brown. Just the continuous trade-back, 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 and getting the extra first-round pick for having developed Carson Wentz at the end of it all and kind of swindling the Colts at the end of the day in the Carson Wentz trade. capitalizing on value of Carson Wentz and then just trading back, trading back, trading back allowed them to bring in the skill position players. And the one that I find most interesting as a story is Devonta Smith. This dude in college was literally my weight and I'm 6'2", 170. That dude won the Heisman Trophy at wide receiver, the first to do that since Tim Brown 30 years ago. And he fell to the Eagles in the draft as the third receiver taken 
in that draft class, or technically fourth, because Kyle Pitts is a receiver. Kyle Pitts, Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddell, and then him at pick 10. The Heisman Trophy winner falls to the Eagles at pick 10. And at the end of the day, it was basically just because he was skinny. I mean, Jamar Chase had the physical gifts that everyone could see. Kyle Pitts is this super freak tight end. Even Jalen Waddell, I mean, people thought Devonta Smith was going to be picked ahead of Jalen Waddell. But you look at Jalen Waddell play, you, you know, it's not that shocking as to why they took Jalen Waddell over Devonta Smith. Jalen Waddell's really, really fast. He's really good at catching passes. He had over 1,300 yards in his first season with Mike McDaniel. And he wasn't even the leading receiver on that team because Tariq Hill. Like, it's not like Javonta Smith was the fourth receiver taken in that class. And I know Kyle Pitts hasn't worked out. It was a weird pick in the first place because Atlanta just wants to run the ball 15 times in a row. But, like, you don't feel like drafted, they drafted Devonta Smith and everyone above them feels like they lost out, which is kind of wild when we're talking about a Heisman Trophy winning receiver, which there's only been two of those in the last 35 years. The other one went to the Hall of Fame. This one got picked as the fourth receiver in his draft class, and nobody really regrets giving that up. And it's kind of wild to think about that. The 170-pound receiver at a position where it's really hard to evaluate at the high school level, unless, I mean, even Justin Jefferson was a three-star prospect coming out of high school. Devonta Smith was a four-star prospect, I believe. And even he didn't end up being one of the top three receivers picked in his draft class. I think the Devonta Smith story is so interesting and something else that adds a layer to this. Um, There's a couple players on the defense that I wrote down that I think are interesting. Darius Slay, they got him at a really great value. And A.J. Brown kind of lumps in with Devonta Smith where like the reason they got Devonta Smith was because they tanked that game in 2020. And the reason they got A.J. Brown this year was because they were able to flip Carson Wentz for a first round pick and then they flipped that first round pick for AJ Brown. They essentially at the end of the day traded Carson Wentz for AJ Brown. Which I think at 2021 if you had said we're flipping Carson Wentz for AJ Brown and giving AJ Brown 20 million dollars instead of the 30 million dollars we're paying to Carson Wentz, I think most people would have said, I mean, it's kind of a risky move, but I think it's the Eagles kind of worked out at the end of that. I think AJ Brown's explosion in this offense I mean, he was great in Tennessee, don't get me wrong. The explosion in this particular offense, where it's a run-based offense similar to Tennessee, but they're just putting up more yards because Jalen Hurts is better than Ryan Tannehill. It's really interesting to watch that explosion. And so the two star receivers, you can literally pinpoint exactly how they got there. Devonta Smith is in Philadelphia because they tanked that game in 2020, in 2020 the last game of Doug Peterson's career with the Eagles and they got AJ Brown because they were able to flip Carson Wentz and pivot to Jalen Hurts I think that's super interesting that you can like in the transaction based sport you can pinpoint exactly how those moves came to be Uh, like I said on the defense Darius Slay really interesting that they got him at value because of everything that was happening with him literally fighting with Matt Patricia at the end in Detroit And they were the team that's like, we'll take on this player, even though we're not having a good season, even though we're in a rebuild, we recognize the value, we'll trade, I think it was a third and a fifth 
for Darius Slay because he was on his way out in Philadelphia, uh, in Detroit. And three years later, it's a really good value play because he is a legitimate number one corner, sometimes playing in the slot, sometimes playing on the outside for the Eagles. And the Hassan Reddick story, I regret that I've waited this long to talk about that one because as someone who's followed the Arizona Cardinals, they completely misused Hassan Reddick. They had him playing middle linebacker, kind of like a Fred Warner type. And only in his last season did they put him on the edge. And he had double-digit sack numbers. He was incredible off the edge. It was his strength, the place he should have been playing from the very beginning. They just gall- A former first-round pick, a former four-star, pro- uh, I think it was a three-star prospect, but still, like, a player who we recognized was really, really good and really, really fast. He dominated the combine. His And this was back when I used to give a shit about watching the combine. He dominated the combine his last, uh, I think it was 2017. The Cardinals misused him for three seasons between Bruce Arians to Steve Wilkes to Vance Joseph as defensive coordinator. Three different defensive coordinators all didn't use him correctly because they had him dropping back in coverage and they put him on the edge and he got 10 sacks. And then they just let him walk in free agency. He got a one-year contract with Carolina, put up double-digit sacks. Carolina let him walk in free agency. He signed a $50 million contract to come back home to the Eagles. Second most sacks in the league, 17 and a half this season. It's incredible that everyone just... Three different teams and five different, uh, four different coordinators looked at Hassan Reddick and were like, nah. And then he goes to the Eagles and he's only behind Nick Bosa in sack numbers. The story of Hassan Reddick's NFL career is absolutely insane. And the fact that he's anchoring a defense and is actually one of the betting favorites to win Super Bowl MVP behind Patrick Mahomes and Jalen Hurts and Travis Kelsey and the usual candidates. Like the fact that he's legitimately a impact player for this Super Bowl is incredible when you think of where he was just three years ago where the Cardinals were like, we're going to decline his fifth-year option. They straight up declined his fifth-year option. And then since then, he went double-digit sacks on the Cardinals, hit free agency. Double-digit sacks on the Panthers, hit free agency. 17 and a half sacks on the Philadelphia Eagles anchor of a pass rush that is best in the league and is making or not best yeah best in the league pass rush that is making it to the Super Bowl and is going to be one-on-one against Orlando Brown trying to get to a hobbled Patrick Mahomes to potentially win a Super Bowl for his hometown because he's from Philadelphia he went to Temple it's a ridiculously awesome story that I regret I waited six players in to talk about And the last player that I find incredibly interesting on this Eagles team and the storytelling leading up to the Super Bowl is Miles Sanders. Because Miles Sanders is the one running back that has stuck in Philadelphia. Also, Boston Scott. Miles Sanders is just more skilled than Boston Scott. But Miles Sanders is the only one that's stuck. With all of these offensive linemen, with all the interchangeable parts, he's the one running back that's stuck. And I find that super interesting because when Miles Sanders was coming into the NFL, his entire identity was he's not Saquon Barkley. He was the guy who followed up Saquon Barkley at at 
Penn State, which is like the most dominant running back in college football of the last decade. And he spent two years as the running back after Miles, uh, after Saquon Barkley. And he gets drafted in the second round, which is, again, one of the highest drafted running backs in his class. It's just it only existed behind Saquon Barkley. So he's the guy who follows up Saquon Barkley. Uh, I'm looking up his stats now. He had 1,300 yards rushing, about 150 receiving yards his last year at Penn State. Really his only year at Penn State because he ends up declaring for the draft. And his entire thing is like, well, he's a he's a good running back. He's just not Saquon Barkley. And they were teammates for two years at Penn State. And it was the reason he couldn't see the field behind Saquon Barkley is because Saquon Barkley was like the most insane running back that any of us have seen in college football over the past 10 years. And so he gets to the NFL and he's just a meh running back. 800 yards, 800 yards, 750 yards. Averaging four yards a carry. Eagles don't give him an extension after his third season. They're talking about potentially franchise tagging him at the end of his fourth year. Going into this season, they're like, we'd love to have you. We can find another one of you. You're valuable to us because you're cheap. You're on a second round rookie contract. It's about one to two million dollars a year. And for the production we're getting, you're worth about 2 to $3 million a year. So you're worth keeping around in a rotation with Boston Scott. And with this top offensive line all coming together, and Jalen Hurts playing his second year as the starting quarterback, Miles Sanders becomes the bell cow running back for the Philadelphia Eagles. He gets 1,260 yards and he also gets a hundred more carries than any year prior to the prior to this in his career. And the reason that's the case is the Eagles really want to run the ball a lot with Jalen Hurts, with Miles Sanders. They're going to run the ball. They're going to score a lot of points running the ball. And it's so interesting that the NFL changed right in front of our eyes because everyone started dropping back two high safeties, daring you to move the ball little by little. Everyone had to make an adjustment. It's it's part of the reason why the Broncos were so bad this year, why the Cardinals were so bad this year, why the Dallas Cowboys were able to sustain without Dak Prescott with Cooper Rush playing quarterback, why offensive scoring numbers were down to their second lowest levels in 20 years in the NFL is because across the board, everyone recognized not giving up the big play is the way to compete in the modern NFL with the rules constructed as they are. It's why in that playoff game in the AFC Championship, the, the Kansas City played two high safeties, double-team T. Higgins, double-team Jamar Chase. Beat us another way. Beat us paper cut by paper cut by paper cut, and it's going to be 23-20 at the end instead of 38-35. Paper cut, paper cut, paper cut. And the reason offensive numbers were so far down is not that people were gaining less on offense people were just running less plays altogether everyone across the board was running less plays because when you complete a short pass or you run the ball the clock continues to run when a pass falls incomplete the clock stops therefore more incompletions more plays you're going to run over a large sample size game to game it can fluctuate but over a large sample size 
that's what you're going to see. And Miles Sanders and Jalen Hurts end up becoming the benefactors of this because as the league goes to paper cut, paper cut, paper cut, you see the New York Giants and their rushing offense have a top 15 season. You see the Detroit Lions. Jamal Williams broke Barry Sanders' rushing touchdown record this year for the Lions. They had a top 11 offense. And the Eagles, who have a top 5 offense, it's not number 1, but it's a top 5 offense, they beat you with Miles Sanders becoming a workhorse running back. And if everyone's going to run less plays, we're going to run less. We're going to run the ball more often and with more efficiency. Even though Miles Sanders is going to run the same amount of yards per carry, I mean, his career average coming into this year was 4.8 yards per carry. And in this game, he averaged, or this season, he averaged 4.9 yards per carry. We're just going to work Miles Sanders. We're going to work him, work him. He's going to be a pro bowler. He's going to go for 1,300 yards. And Jalen Hurts is also going to be a runner out of the backfield in read option, in play action offense plays. He's going to be a creator with his feet in a way that he wasn't the previous two seasons. I mean, we saw the gifts for Jalen Hurts, but it didn't look anything like this because that's what our team does best. We've got three Hall of Fame offensive linemen who were picked in the sixth round, fourth round, and seventh round. One of them never played organized football before getting drafted. We've got three, we've got two Hall of Fame offensive linemen, one really good one in Jordan Mailata. We've got Jalen Hurts, a mobile rushing quarterback with limited accuracy. We've got Miles Sanders, a four star running back picked in the second round who we can unleash for 100 more carries than he's had in any other season of his career. And that's our best way of moving forward. And when we do want to throw the ball, we got A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith just going deep, burning people, and doing awesome shit. And it's super interesting to watch. It's super interesting. All of these stories that we've talked about here today from, yes, the incredible Jalen Hurts story, but also the Miles Sanders story, the Hassan Reddick, the Darius Slay, the Devonta Smith, Jordan Mailata, Jason Kelsey, Lane Johnson, Josh Sweat, Howie Roseman, and the story of how they get to A.J. Brown with just basically flipping Carson Wentz for A.J. Brown and then getting Devonta Smith and an extra draft pick because they tanked a football game at the end of the 2020 season publicly the last game of the year, on TV, putting Nate Sudfeld in. It got Doug Peterson fired, even though Doug Peterson probably would have been fired anyways. It's such an interesting story with so many intricate parts, and these intricate parts make me feel like Philadelphia is justified in being favored against Kansas City on a neutral field. They have vindicated that they are that team all year. They've been top three in our strength of schedule, not strength of schedule, our uh, SRS ranking by Pro Football f- uh, Reference that basically determines what the point spread would be if you played a league average opponent on a neutral field, which is a best indication of talent on paper of any statistic. The Eagles have been top three all season. Their only loss with a, with Jalen Hurts came against Washington. The Eagles were the number one team in the NFC all year. They were untested on the way to the championship, yes, circumstances permitting against San Francisco, And they're now here, and I feel justified, even though I'm always betting on red, and I'm going to continue to always bet on red with Kansas City because I'm going to be more right than I'm wrong. It feels justified that the Eagles are there. And if, regardless of whether the Eagles win the championship or not, there's so many interesting players with so many interesting stories to get to this point. 
all a foundation based on that offensive line, especially with the offensive players, based on a foundation of two years of losing it to acquire the capital to get those receivers and those defensive players on rookie contracts like Josh Sweat and a good break like everyone in the league not recognizing the value of Hassan Reddick. All coming together for a really interesting team with a really interesting storyline heading into the Super Bowl. One that I felt was worthy of taking 40 minutes to talk about in addition to recognizing the now talked about much more often than when I was saying this Jalen Hurts story is an amazing 30 for 30. Recognizing that the Eagles also have a really awesome quarterback story and a really awesome story for 8 to 10 different players on that team that have all culminated in what's going to be a really cool NFC champion for years and years to come. And just might be a really, really cool Super Bowl champion. So ladies and gentlemen, thanks for stopping in here to the Take It Easy podcast. We've got episodes every single day, Monday through Friday, as well as Wired Up on Sundays. We've got our friend Walter Mitchell joining the show tomorrow to get set for the Super Bowl. Very excited to talk to him. In the meantime, leave a five-star review, a download. Check out our book that's coming out in a couple weeks. We'll have more details on that next week as well. There's links in the description of this episode to all of that stuff. And in the meantime, until tomorrow and until Super Bowl Sunday, take it easy.